Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know, hey, what works with social media? Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2015. I'll share more about this event later on in today's show. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Laura Fitton, and we're going to be exploring Twitter for business. But first, before we get into that interview, I've got a really cool new discovery that I'd like to share with you right now. After introducing a vegetarian diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. Do you use Firefox, the web browser? Um, I do, and I just find it to be the most, um, if you will, consistent browser over Chrome. And there's some really cool capabilities that a lot of people do not realize. For example, if you hold down Command Option M on a Mac, and it shift it's Control Shift M uh, on Windows, Command Option M, you will be able to see what your website looks like in mobile. And it's really, really cool. Command Option M. I'm doing it right now. And um, it allows you to drop down different sizes and it will show you essentially how it looks in a responsive kind of environment. Now, for the real geeks that are out there, and I know that some of you are like me, um, another cool capability is something called Command Option Q or Control Shift Q on Windows. And by the way, don't worry if you can't remember any of this. It'll all be in the show notes. What this does is this actually allows you to pull up any website, ideally your homepage or your blog or whatever, and it shows you literally everything and how long it takes to load. And this is really good if your website is acting up. Basically, you just can use this capability and it will show you kind of in a waterfall kind of an environment all the things that are loading and what is taking the longest to load. And it can allow you to kind of troubleshoot and find out problems. So for those of you that are a little bit techie, geeky, I hope you found that useful. For the rest of you, let's move on to today's interview. But actually, nope, before we do, I've got one other thing I'd like to share with you, something very exciting. Want to keep ahead of your competitors? Need to master a social platform? Struggling to measure your ROI? Discover how to improve your social media marketing at Social Media Marketing World 2015. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll rub shoulders with the biggest names and brands in social media. Soak up countless tips and new strategies. And enjoy extensive networking opportunities in San Diego, California. Pick from more than 100 expert-led sessions across seven tracks focused on tactics strategy measurement corporate small biz content and the future of social network aboard a naval aircraft carrier meet industry leaders jay bear guy kawasaki mari smith chris brogan and michael stelzner don't miss the industry's largest conference discount tickets are limited visit socialmediaworld15.com to secure your ticket today And, you know, this conference is totally incredible, but I want to go ahead and share with you uh, what one of our speakers is going to be talking about. This is Martin Sherrington, and hopefully I will see you at Social Media Marketing World 2015 in San Diego. 
I will be talking about Google Plus and how you can use it for your business with a load more hints and tips. And if you're looking to grow your follow account or you're looking to build communities, I'm sure I'm going to have content for you there too. So, hope to see you in March. Now, Martin Shervington is the world's leading Google Plus expert, and he's coming all the way from Australia to meet you at this conference. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? The fact is that I live in another country and I can't make it to San Diego. Well, let me just share with you. We've got people coming from more than 30 countries, not just Australia, but the Netherlands, United Arab Emirates, South Africa, India, Japan, France, New Zealand, Israel, Panama, Nigeria, and the United Kingdom are just a sampling of some of the countries that are coming. So do not let that stop you. We have a massive global contingency that comes to this conference. And I think part of the reason they do it is because it's such an amazing time of year in San Diego and it's an amazing group of people. Would you visit socialmediaworld15.com and watch the videos, listen to the testimonials, see what everybody's saying about this conference, and then make the decision to come. Socialmediaworld15.com. With that, let's transition over to today's expert interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Laura Fitton. If you don't know who Laura is, she's the co-author of Twitter for Dummies, third edition. She also founded 140, which was a Twitter app store, which was acquired by HubSpot. And she now is the inbound marketing evangelist at HubSpot. And she was also one of the very first Twitter consultants out there. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. It's great to be here. So guess what Laura and I are going to talk about today? Twitter marketing. So (laughs) um, Laura, let's start with a little bit of your backstory. Um, First, what was your very first experience with Twitter um, and how long ago was it? (laughs) So in April of 2007, when everybody else was running around South by Southwest going, oh my God, Twitter, 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 it's this great thing. I had really just gotten into reading blogs. And so I was like, why are all these bloggers I'm reading talking about this thing, Twitter? I went and I looked, I blogged on my own site how stupid I thought Twitter was. I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. I was like, what the (laughs) heck is this thing? Like, what? And then in May, I kind of gave it one more shot. And within 24 hours of giving it one more shot, had connected to a bunch of fascinating people. Um, Saw that one of my favorite bloggers was using it in a really, really smart way um, to surround himself with successful and interesting people. Who was that back then? Do you remember? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. And I can't remember. His name just slipped my mind. He was like 19 years old at the time and blogging about startups in the Valley. Um, oh, that's cool. Ben, Ben something. Um, what, was he, went, what was he doing that intrigued you? Do you remember? Well, so he wrote this blog post and he linked to his Twitter account. I clicked through and his last few tweets were things like um, meeting with a VC to get career advice, um, You know, going to this tech event just read this book and here's what I liked about it. And I thought, oh my God, this is like having the person in the next cubicle who's really, really on it with their career and kind of keeps you thinking about all the stuff you could be doing to develop yourself. Mm. So I just followed a bunch of the people he was following and suddenly I had all this like, just, you know, surround myself with successful, interesting people. I was a homebound mom of two kids under two at the time. And so suddenly being connected to other people's brains and thoughts and ideas and interests was just awesome. 
So this was literally a few months after they launched. Is that what I hear you saying? It was about a year on. Um, they gotcha. they went they launched in 06, but they went really big in April 2007. Um, so like my company at the time was called Pistachio Consulting, which is why I am known as Pistachio. I'm Pistachio on the Twitters. If you Google the word Pistachio, you can't not find me. Um, well, I actually okay, I've got to ask, what's the deal with pistachios? Um, pistachio Consulting had been a business name for a really long time at the point where I signed up for Twitter. And the first instance of it was the color of the paint in my home office was like that horrible pistachio ice cream green, particularly oh. the one we have here in Massachusetts at Friendly's Ice Cream. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd had a company called Pistachio Consulting for years. And in signing up for this mysterious, weird new service, I was really hesitant to give away uh, my gender or my name or anything. So I was like, well, I'll just use my company name. Uh, and of course, since then, everybody's like, oh, it's such cute branding. Every time I eat pistachios, I think of you. You know, people send me pistachio oil and pistachio jewelry. And, and honestly, when I go to your conference and other places, people don't say, hey, Laura. They say, hey, pistachio. That is crazy. It's so fun, yeah. Okay, so um, so you come back from South by Southwest, and it's summertime, and you're this mom. Um, so actually, I hadn't even gone. I was just reading bloggers, and they were all talking about okay. it. But you and I'm like, what is the stink with this Twitter thing? And so April, I thought it was stupid. End of May, I kind of got the hang of it. A few days later, went to my very first ever tweet up, which may have been the first ever tweet up. And it was crazy. It was like Scott Monty, who ran social media for Ford for years after that. Of course, he hadn't you know, done that yet. Uh, a guy named Brian Person down in, down in Austin now, he was in Boston at the time, had organized it to welcome Paul Young to the company country. Um, he was this Aussie podcaster on the topic of PR, and he had just gotten a job in New York City. He now um, does a ton of marketing and PR for Charity Water. So, you know, these people who've just turned into absolute giants of social media were all at this little drink up. And I was mainly focused on like, oh, my God, I'm going to get out of the house and drink beer with other adults. This is amazing. Uh, and the, so a few days after that, the very beginning of June, I put my Twitter handle right on my business card. I'm like, this is amazing. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is going to be big. It's going to be a Twitter, a, a business thing. And people thought I was crazy. Obviously, you weren't. Well, let's fast forward to how in the world the book came about. So I reached out to Wiley in 2008 um, because I wanted to write a book a bit more like a, um, like a Heath Brothers kind of book, actually, breaking down the six most important underlying principles of why Twitter was taking off. And I never really finished that proposal because as I got on the phone, uh, luckily, you know, it crazy things started happening once I got into Twitter. One of those many crazy things was ending up with several friends at Wiley just because I met them on Twitter. And so I had reached out to Ellen Gerstein to say, hey, who can I talk to about my book? And they said, by the way, we want to write Twitter for dummies. We need somebody for that. I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I've been blogging about Twitter for a couple of years now. I could totally do that. Um, and that's how that came about. And then the crazy thing was the first edition came out at the exact same time that I was launching 140, which was the startup. And I was so manic, back-to-back -back crazy doing those things and not paying attention to things like who from the media is calling that I actually showed up for one interview. It was Andrew Warner's Mixergy.com. Mm. Um, not knowing it was a video gig, 
<laughs> with my hair styled roughly like a fraggle from Fraggle Rock. I had two huge frizzy ponytails trying to keep my hair out of my face. That is too funny. <laughs> I was just underwater at the time. I was very, very lucky. There was a lot of hype around both the startup and the book. Well, when I started Social Media Examiner in October of 2009, um, I was at Blog World and you were one of the bigwigs. I remember it was you and oh. Jeremiah, you know, were kind of two of the... Hi, Jeremiah Oying were two of the very high profile people that everybody was clamoring to talk to. So, you know, folks, we're talking to someone who was one of the very first evangelists for Twitter. And that's exciting. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that was your timing. You have done a ton in a shorter period of time than I knew. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the craziest week of my life. Yep. Um, so that was crazy. I flew, yeah. Yeah. I was doing all nighters and flying all over the place and talking to people that I thought I would never, ever meet. And it was several people I met that week that led to 140 being preemptively VC funded. So it was just a crazy, awesome, super grateful for it week. I was in like four cities in four days. Awesome. Well, let's let's focus in on, um, you know, you've obviously been monitoring and participating and writing about Twitter for a very, very long time. What? Are, let's let's talk about a couple of the biggest mistakes because even today, there's a lot of people that don't understand Twitter, and frankly. I think if I just came into it out of the blue, I might not even understand it today. Um, that's why books like yours are so necessary. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see businesses making when it comes to Twitter? Well, and you know, it's funny. Sometimes I really empathize with James Taylor. Um, he both has that, that huge hit, Fire and Rain. And then he has another song in which he kind of comes out and expresses how perplexed he is that people are paying good money to hear Fire and Rain again and again and again. Um, and some of the stuff we've been trying to help people understand about Twitter since the very get-go is still some of the same kinds of stuff we get asked all the time. How do I get more followers? Um, what do I tweet about? How do I, you know, just just really, really, be, oh, what, what is even the point of Twitter? How is there even value for my business? I still hear that one, which is kind of amazing. Um, and it all really comes down to centering everything you do on Twitter around who you want to have read it, really identifying who's the persona, who's the, the type of person that's a perfect customer for my business, and what do they actually need? And very few accounts actually do that. It's surprising. Well, I know you talk about a Twitter mission statement. Is this related to that? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm really excited to kind of develop in depth um, when I speak at Social Media Marketing World is this very, very simple idea um, that when I bring it up at, you know, like at a lunch table full of 12 different Twitter for business people, they all pick up their pens and write it down, right? And it's just take a step back from the account for a moment and really write a sharp, simple mission statement. And that mission statement needs to encompass who the account is for and what value it delivers, right? So yours might be um, social media examiner is where well, I can tell you it's where marketers come to keep up to date on all the social media changes, probably. Exactly, exactly. Um, and you could even make it more specific by saying where marketers will find the latest news and information on social changes, right? There you go. And now you have a really baller litmus test whenever you're trying to decide what should I publish, right? You look at it and say, well, is it that value payoff that I've promised in my mission statement or isn't it? 
Um, another thing a mission statement gives you is portability, right? It lets others, who, whether they're your employees, partners, stakeholders, readers, it lets others articulate very simply what your account is all about and who should follow it and why they should follow it. Hey, Laura, another question for you is um, what are your thoughts about people promoting, overly promoting their own stuff on Twitter? Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. That is such a great question. Um, the obvious answer is, oh, it's bad. You totally shouldn't do it. You should promote other people. Um, the more subtle question is, are you putting out the right stuff in the first place? Because if you're putting out stuff that really is valuable to that core persona audience that you identified in your mission statement, then it's a lot less egregious. It's a lot less bad to only share your own stuff. Good point. Because your own stuff is really genuinely valuable. It's really genuinely, um, at HubSpot, obviously, we call this inboundy, right? It's much more about the reader than it is about you. So you can actually get away with a fair amount of quote-unquote self-promotion if your whole modus operandi of promoting yourself is to offer really valuable stuff that helps people and specifically helps the kind of people who'd make good customers for you in the first place, right? You're not trying to beat Justin Bieber or Ellen DeGeneres at Twitter. You're trying to be a magnet that attracts the exact right type of uh, lead, type of potential customer. And I'll, I'm going to add a little insight here. Um, we have my own personal account, which is Mike underscore Stelzner. And then we've got SM Examiner, which is Social Media Examiner's Twitter account. And for the longest time on SM Examiner, probably up until about a year ago, all we did was tweet our articles and, and everybody was fine with that. And right. the, the reason we did that, and we were only following like five or six people, which were the founding contributors to Social Media Examiner. And the reason is because that was a way that someone could just essentially get updates to our uh, articles without having to um, you know, get the email every day. And it served a purpose. But uh, it, it wasn't until recently that when we expanded our social team and we had staff and personnel that we actually started changing that a little bit. And at that juncture, what we started doing was not just sharing our own stuff, but sharing some also very valuable content from some of our peers in the industry. And we also engaged a lot more on that account and we saw things literally explode. And, um, you know, I think it really does come down to there's nothing wrong with either one. It kind of depends what you're trying to achieve, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. There is a lot to be said for making it about the community. Um, you know, you know who really nailed this one, actually? Jeff Jarvis, way, way back in his book, um, What Would Google Do? He said, do what you do best and link to the rest, right? You can build a really valuable Twitter account that shares hardly any original content if it's extremely well curated, Awesome. Um, I know you've got some examples of some businesses that are doing Twitter well, so why don't you go ahead and share one of your first examples? Sure, sure. Um, well, a couple quick personal stories, uh, one with Canada Goose Inc. and one with Verizon. Um, in both cases, I had a fairly specific customer service need. Uh, with Verizon, there was a downed wire on my street, and all of the efforts to use their normal customer service channel weren't getting me anywhere. Um, with Canada Goose Inc., I had had an order for a really, really hard-to-find jacket that they sell called the Mystique, which saved my butt this morning in the negative five degrees we had here when we recorded this in Boston. Um, and the order had canceled out. And I knew the jacket was hard to get, so I wasn't even that surprised it had canceled. 
in both cases, I just said on Twitter, hey, at company, I have some questions. Could you follow me back? Um, because I prefer to not be that loud screaming voice. You know, a lot of people will use social media to rant at a company. Right. Uh, I prefer to do it in private. I think it's a little classier. I think it's forgiving because you, you know, these companies, a lot of the social media is staffed by very young people just starting out in their careers. You don't want to stress them out, you know, and they can help you a lot more if you're kind of quiet behind the scenes with it. Hey, and Laura, so I, real quick, yeah. why don't you explain why you asked them to follow you back for those that might not be oh, familiar? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, on Twitter, the only way to send private messages, it's nice. It's sort of an opt-in model. The only way to send someone a private message is if they've followed you back first. Right. So the most polite way to ask for some kind of customer support uh, which is a valid use of Twitter, but a lot of people go overboard with kind of being jerks about how they ask, um, is if you send an at reply, so that's just the at sign and then the, the handle of the Twitter user, in my case, pistachio, um, that will show up on their mentions tab. And any business that's doing a really good job monitoring Twitter, and both of these companies were, they both responded very quickly, um, will see that tweet. And we'll follow you. And then that allows you to privately message them and say, you know, hey, Verizon, there's a line down on my street. And after 45 minutes with customer support, I got nowhere. Uh, could you see that someone checks that out, please? And they were amazing. They were on it. They got it into their system. I mean, the guy on the phone said he couldn't even log a trouble ticket unless I put it on my own personal account, which I didn't really feel like doing because it was down the street from me. It had nothing to do with my account. Right. That's crazy. Um, in the case of Canada Goose, again, I, I, I have to say, much props to them. They hooked me up, and that's why I even have this coat. I wasn't really asking them for a special favor, even though I ended up getting one. Uh, what I was really trying to figure out is, okay, I found this one coat left of a coat that sold out in four days two months ago. I placed an online order, and three weeks later, the order canceled itself. And so that made sense to me. It was like, they're obviously out of stock, right? There was some glitch in the system. Um, so all I really wanted to know was, are more coats shipping sometime this year, or am I out of luck till next August, right? Because there had obviously been a feeding frenzy. This coat is that good. And they were great. They said, we're going to find you a coat in some retail outlet somewhere. Bring it back to the warehouse. And when we have it here, we'll have you call in and order it again, and we'll get you your coat. And they totally did not have to do that. Wow. Uh, so, so okay, great. let's bring this down. Th these two examples are great examples of somebody um, asking for um, support, in this case, you from a company. And um, you, being savvy, asked um, for them to follow you. Um, but if we flip the coins and you're a business listening and someone's tweeting to you, you may ask them to follow you because maybe they're not. And that can allow that. To, that private message to happen. And, the and that is a good best practice is to take it offline as quickly exactly. as possible, whether they're happy or mad. Yeah. And a lot of times I've seen people say, Hey, can I have your phone number in a DM and they'll get on the phone with you? Or can I have your email address? And that way you can get a little more dialogue than 140 characters. But um, a lot of times people just want to be heard in a timely fashion. And I guess the moral of the story here is if you're not actively monitoring your Twitter account, at least, a couple times a day if you're a smaller brand and if not a lot more and you're a bigger brand, then these problems could fester and get out of control very quickly, couldn't they? Yeah, they really can. And, you know, it's a good idea to look out. Now, I also do realize that given that I wrote this book and that I've been lucky enough to have a fairly big audience on Twitter, 
companies are probably being a lot nicer to me than they might think to be to the average user. But I didn't get that feeling from either Verizon or Canada Goose in this case that they were like, oh, let's let's show off in hopes of getting some return out of it. They just were doing the right thing and the company has set it up so that the people staffing the account have access to the business and can do real things with it. And I think that's also very important. And one of the risks of farming out your social to an agency, right, is knowing that you have the back-end support to actually give the, the customer the service they need. Uh, certainly people have praised Comcast off and on over the years for their phenomenal Twitter support, um, but the company hasn't always backed up that support and been able to really follow through. Awesome. Now, um, we're going to continue to talk about some other examples and relationship building techniques on Twitter. But before we do, this podcast is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World taking place this March in San Diego. And Laura, I know you were there last year. Can you just share a little bit about your experience? Well, I don't need my Canada Goose Mystique coat there because it's not negative five degrees like it is in Boston right now. (laughs) San Diego looks so good to me right now. No, I'm really, really excited. I had a fantastic time. There's an opening party on a huge, huge ship, the Midway. Yep. And we got to go up on deck and talk to a guy who used to help crew the fighter jets as they were taking off. And we learned all kinds of crazy things about, you know, the physics of how the, here's something you never think about, right? There's a launcher arm on that boat that throws the the airplanes up into the air. How do you stop the launcher arm, right? Once it's let go of the plane, that thing is moving really fast and has a lot of force behind it. Well, it, it goes into like a really amazing hydraulic thing and slows down gradually. Um, we learned so much and we met just such fantastic people. Um, I, I know I'm sounding like an ad here, but I'm really, really excited about going back. And it's not just the cold today making me excited. Well, um, you heard it. You can hear, you can learn all about hydraulics at social media marketing world <laughs> and I Twitter know, as so well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to, um, you have another example you wanted to share with us? Yeah. Um, two other companies that do a really good job of picking up when they've been mentioned. Um, Both are products I use and love. And so again, maybe they're paying more attention to me because I mention them all the time. Um, But Mini USA is just really funny. I had never owned a Mini before and I remarked that I was getting one. And they were immediately like, oh, is it a girl or a boy? And what are you naming it? Or what are you naming it? And I said, I have to name it. And they said, is it a girl or a boy? I'm like, what? You know, and so I named my car. Um, All right, well, what's the name? Pippin. <laughs> and it's a girl. And it's a girl. And Pippin's a boy's name in the play. So I don't even know how that all happened. That sounds great. That's cool. We have a we have a girl car named Pippin. Um and it wasn't Twitter related, but the auto body shop that had to fix it up recently was so sweet in their emails they kept referring to my car as Pippin because I had told them that was its name. Um the other one is is it's a stop and shop brand, Peapod. On the Twitter they're at Peapod Delivers. Um for those of you who don't live where there's grocery delivery I apologize. It's it's a service I can't live without, especially being a single mom all these years. Uh, my kids are they were one and two when we separated, right? And so going grocery shopping with a one and a two year old is a complete non-starter. So I'm completely dependent on their service. I use it all the time. Well, our mutual friend Lee Odin got this amazing care package from Oscar Meyer right before Christmas this year that featured a kind of bacon that I've never seen anywhere before from Oscar Mayer, but like a deli cut or a butcher cut or something. 
And so I sent, you know, just a funny tweet retweeting the picture of him in his bacon scarf um, saying, at Peapod delivers, why you no carry um, butcher's cut or whatever. And someone followed me back, followed up and said, I'm going to put in a request for you. Um, you know, and, and I doubt they'll ever be able to get the specific product. It's not even about that. It was just about they saw their name. They honed in on what I was talking about. They looked into it. They totally didn't have to do that. I wasn't even asking them to. They just were kind of jokingly mentioned. Um, a g- really quick thing, if, if people are listening and can grab a pen, I'm going to rattle off um, a few different companies that do a great job with that mission statement thing. Yeah, and we'll, by right the way, we'll have, it in the show, we'll have it in the show notes if you don't have a pen. So just go okay, ahead and rattle great. them off. Okay, great. Um, hopefully these are still current because this is a screenshot I took a little while ago. But Goldman Sachs, Travelocity, Kate Spade, New York, um, PlayStation Europe, uh, account called Machinima, M-A-C-H-I-N-I-M-A, um, SitePoint, Refinery29, and Alternative Press. They all have bios that say, follow us for, and then they say exactly what you're going to get by following the account. That is awesome. Now, right? It's so simple. Follow us for. So once you've written down that first mission of X is where Y can find Z, then you rewrite your bio along the format of, you know, a quick nibbling about who you are and who should be interested in this. They follow us for and then tell them what you're going to give them. You know, it's funny. I'm actually looking at what ours says. And ours says, follow us as we help you navigate the constantly changing social media jungle. Boom. So, uh, hey, it looks like we've got a team that's doing the right thing. Maybe they're reading your book. now. And, and that can answer so – sorry, I keep interrupting you. Yeah. That can answer so many other questions when you're the person running that account day-to-day, such as, well, when can I be non-serious and when do I have to be all business, right? Right. If you see a funny cat icon come across and everybody's sharing it and it in some way relates to that value that you try and give or the kind of person you're trying to serve – then it's great to go a little bit off message, right? But if oh, yeah. it's completely random and just happens to be popular that day, you know, the, the secret, by the way, to building up your Twitter account, tweet about Justin Bieber, tweet about Ellen DeGeneres, tweet about whatever's trending on TMZ, your numbers will go right up, but they'll be junk. Exactly. And that's why the mission's so important. Now, to what you were saying earlier with these examples, uh, one little take-home point that I want to zoom out on for the listeners is that there's a lot of noise on Twitter Twitter, and a lot of traffic on Twitter, and people really appreciate a reply. I can tell you from my own experience, just every once in a blue moon when someone retweets me, I will reply and say thank you, and it blows them away. So yeah. this is the smallest little thing can have the biggest impact when it comes to Twitter. Now, I want to transition this dialogue into relationship marketing because I think this is one of the most amazing, you know, I, I think this is the secret sauce of Twitter. So why don't you share a little bit about what your your thoughts are on how you can use Twitter to develop relationships and maybe how you've done it. And that's the perfect jumping off point from what you just said. I was about to jump in with, oh, yeah, yeah. And um, simple, simple things, right? When you are sharing something that another blogger or a reporter or whoever wrote, don't just tell people why it's great and share the link, tell people why it's great, share the link, and include the Twitter handle of the person who wrote it in the first place. There you go. Right? Talk about PR, right? You're going to get right on that writer's radar 
as someone who is supporting their work, appreciates their work, has an audience for whom their work is probably relevant, right? That is the first drop in the bucket towards building that relationship. Um, and it's as simple as, you know, appending their name, especially, this one blows my mind that people don't all already know this trick. If they're writing about you, right, when you share that, make sure to mention them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Who, who wouldn't do that, right? And especially if you have a good following that's going to retweet the article, that's going to engage with the article, make sure when you share it, their name is in there, and they'll see all the other people going ahead and also sharing it, and they'll think, well, geez, they're great to work with. Because, you know, journalists have a really tough job right now. Just the idea that they have to write content that gets traffic, that gets attention, that gets people to engage. Anyone who is helping them on that mission is certainly going to earn a lot more trust, trust and respect a lot faster. So that's just one, you know, kind of PR way to do it. But you can apply that to any, you know, employees you're trying to get to come work at your company, partners you're trying to work with, customers who would be good. Just give them a little bit of love. Yeah, and we should say this is no different than calling someone by their first name. This right. is kind of like saying when you're in the checkout line and you see the gal's name is Sally, you say, thank you, Sally. When someone hears their name, they're like, what? Oh, how'd you know my name was Sally? Oh, you're welcome, sir. I mean, it, it's it, when it comes to Twitter, and as long as you're not using some sort of automated schedule program that people oftentimes can program out of their Twitter feed, and it's actually authentic, you know what I mean? Like, hey, at Pistachio, you know, loved your appearance on uh, at Mike underscore Stelzner show. And some people are going to do that now. Right, you know, right. I guarantee you, you're going to probably reply to every one of those because that is personal and you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And we put a couple of Easter eggs in the book along those lines that say like, oh, hey, you know, you can say hi to us or you can say hi to a celebrity or. What else do you do? What else have you done to kind of develop relationships? I mean, because you can, you can kind of reach out cold to people, right? That you're trying to somehow develop a relationship with on Twitter as a first course of action. I know I've done this to try to get people to show up on this show. Totally, totally. And and even before you actually reach out to them on Twitter, um, the very first thing is follow them on Twitter, right? Because they may or may not, depending on how busy they are, they may or may not see that follow notification and check you out then. Um, more realistically, if it's someone like Ellen, right, she's not going to see that you just followed her that day. Right. But by following her, you then play a bit of a wait and see game and maybe someday she'll have a need, she'll have a question, she'll say something relevant, she'll do something where you can add some value. I had this engagement with a um, Wall Street Journal reporter, Julia Angwin, where I have this Twitter app store startup, 140. I want nothing more in the world than for tech journalists to see me as an expert on Twitter apps. I'm following this woman among many other journalists. And one night, I'm literally in my kid's crib trying to get her to fall asleep. And I noticed Julia tweet, oh, I'm installing Uber Twitter. Now, at the time, this was this crazy app that the moment you installed it, it changed Twitter's location um, field to give out your latitude and longitude. Oh, is that what did that? Right? I, I remember and that. So, so I'm going out on a limb here, but like... If I'm a journalist in New York City for the Wall Street Journal, I probably don't want to be broadcasting that at all times. Right. And so without even taking my left arm out from under my kid's head, because she's just not a good sleeper and she'd finally drifted off, um, with my right thumb, I message her back and I say, hey, at Julia, 
check it, that wasn't her Twitter handle, but you know, hey Julia and her at handle, check the location defaults on that app. You might not be comfortable with them, mm. right? I didn't say, hey, I'm a Twitter expert and I just said like, ooh, you, you need this. And I gave it to her and then I left her alone, right? And so when I did circle back later, um, I was shocked to find out that that actually was a pivot point in her career where she got way, way more into writing about privacy and security online after that little incident. That's very um, cool. Isn't that crazy? So you never know. So the first step is to follow them. And then, yeah, when it's appropriate, reach out. But the best first outreach is about them, right? Very, it's very not cool. you going, hey, come be on my podcast. Come come speak at our conference. Come check out the hydraulics on the Midway. It should really be, you know, a lot of people ask questions on Twitter. Be one of the people who answers that person's questions on the regular. Um, a lot of people share stuff they love, respond and say you love it too when you do. Don't be a no brown noser. Be authentic. But My last question is, how do you use Twitter um, other than just replying to people? I'm talking about Laura. Or do you just use it to reply to people? Because, you know, I mean, I'll be honest. My personal Twitter account, I use it to um, tweet out uh, the day's articles on Social Media Examiner. I use it to give some love to some of our writers. Like some of our writers, I go to their blog and I find articles that they've written and I share that out. And then for the most part, I'm replying to people all day long. And that's how Mike Stelzner uses Twitter. I'm curious, how does Laura Fitton use Twitter? <laughs> it's funny because over the years it's gone through so many phases um, the 50 tweets a day phase the goofy oversharing phase the oh my god I'm so excited about everything I've ever seen phase um, a lot of mothering you know like pictures of my kids or crazy stuff we were off doing lately it's, it's actually a bit more toned down um, it does tend to be following up with people who've talked to me first um, I have a list of people that I follow. Like people ask, like you're following a hundred thousand people back. How do you read Twitter? I never use, and no business should never use that who I follow as actually who I follow. Set up lists of the people you actually want to read and see. And so I have some lists of of people I think are really inspiring, and I I take a look at what they're sharing, what they're reading. Um, it's really a great way to pick up a lot of information fast on like a study break, right? Maybe work for 45 minutes, take a walk for five minutes and then spend 10 minutes catching up on Twitter and then dive back into your next hour. You, but you do put quotes and stuff out there. It looks like every once in a while, right? I do. I do. Sometimes it's just random. I'm moved by something. Uh, sometimes I'm sharing something from HubSpot. Uh, the tweet I have pinned to the top of my account, which is another cool feature that Twitter, you know, got relatively recently, lets you put one tweet that is always the first one on your profile page, is a Elizabeth Gilbert quote that really resonated with me about taking care of yourself. You know, my last question has to do, you have a lot of photos on your Twitter account, like 1,700 photos. Oh, um, wow. And I think that a lot of people think of Facebook as a place where they t tend to put photos. Um, like I do, you know, because it's more private, and more personal. Um, I, I'm guessing a lot of people that have Twitter accounts do not attach photos or images to their tweets. I'm curious what your thoughts are on whether it's a good idea to do that or not do that. And in particular, you know, using your smartphone, taking a picture and then doing a tweet with the image. What are your thoughts on that? People should absolutely use more images on Twitter. Um, they work very, very well. Um, 
when our newest social media manager came in here at HubSpot, she really, I mean, if you look at HubSpot's account right now, I'm flipping through it, almost every single tweet has an image of some sort. And the reason for that is when you look behind the scenes at your metrics, just right on Twitter.com, they offer some free metrics tools, or if you're using a paid social media tool, um, tweets with images in them get way, way, way more engagement. So it's definitely well worth it. It's a great place for images. People like to flip through pictures while they're mobile. Awesome. And I mean, it's a definite way to stand out in the newsfeed, right? Because, or whatever they call it, the Twitter feed. I mean, I'm getting my Facebook and, and, and whatever mixed up, but it is a great way to stand out in the feed when you have a bunch of uh, tweets that are just text and there's a couple with images on it that can make a huge difference. Totally, totally. Here's a tweet that they sent January 7th and it's a picture of a HubSpot employee holding up um, burgers that one of our customers had sent us. And the tweet is further confirmation that we have the best customers on earth. Thanks for the burgers, Schweid and Son. Hat tip, um, A. Krodinger, and that was the employee who's holding up the photo. Very cool. And it really, it really jumps out. It's you know, it's like we're about our employees, we're about our customers. It's not. It has nothing to do with marketing software, right? It's just us saying like, "Hey, we love our customers, and thank you for that gift, and we're glad you love us back." Awesome. Well, Laura, um, where can people discover more about your new book, Twitter for Dummies, and you in particular? Probably just um, HubSpot.com slash pistachio. Or honestly, if you have a tough time remembering links, just Google the word pistachio and you're going to find me somewhere. Awesome. And they can just find Twitter for Dummies pretty much anywhere they can get books, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, we're very nice thing about being part of the Dummies series is they do an excellent, excellent job on distribution. Laura Fitton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michael. It's been great. I'm really looking forward to San Diego. Really. Well, I hope you found value in that interview. If there was anything that we mentioned and you missed it, and I know there was a lot that we mentioned, we take the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 132. That stands for episode 132. Also, never miss a future episode of this podcast by making sure you subscribe, hitting that subscribe button. It's totally free. Also, if you're a regular listener to the show, can you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash love? That'll put a little tweet into your Twitter feed that says you recommend the show. And yes, you can do it right now on your mobile phone. Also, don't forget Social Media Marketing World 2015 in San Diego. I would love to meet you in person. Socialmediaworld15.com. If you're interested in being a corporate sponsor, email Emily at socialmediaexaminer.com. I know we don't have a lot of time left uh, as far as accepting sponsors for the conference, so this will be the last time that I will mention this. Emily at socialmediaexaminer.com. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.